Welcome to Sermons from Bailey Road. You are about to hear a sermon given at Bailey Road Baptist Church. Bailey Road is a small Bible-believing church located in North Jackson, Ohio, and is pastored by Pastor Aaron Smith. We are dedicated to serving the Lord through our people and through our teaching. We hope you are enlightened by today's message, and again, welcome to Bailey Road Baptist Church. Wood, uh, going back to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 in the New Testament there, just the fifth book in to the New Testament. So if you find the Gospels there, just fast forward four books and find the beginning of the book of Acts. Jesus has just ascended, and we looked at this last week as we looked at, uh, continued to look at the revival. And we've been going through this for the last three weeks uh, at how God wants to revive us uh, to a place. And in that revival of our lives, He wants to revive our mission. And the mission of our lives, of course, we know is to know Him and the power of His resurrection. And in the knowing of God, of course, we know that there are some hindrances of revival. Uh, one of the hindrances of revival is ourselves. Uh, we often stand in the way uh, in our own pride of God moving and working and stirring our life uh, for that. But uh, even in the hindrance of revival, we know that if there's any hope uh, to revival, it's going to come through God. Uh, revival does not happen because we schedule it. Uh, I wish, I wish it were that easy, don't you? Uh, I really do. I, I wish we could just say on, on May the 16th, 2021, revival's going to happen, don't miss it. It's not that easy, folks. We have to seek the face of God for it. We have to get out of the way for it. And we have to seek God's face for it, and we have to humble ourselves before God so that we can be revived in the mission of our life. Now, in understanding that revival and having revival in our life, we have to understand that, as we looked at in week two, that our life has a purpose. And if, we, if God's going to revive anything in our life, it's going to be in our purpose. And He gave us that description and a desire and a demand, and He declared our purpose in serving Him. As we came last week to Acts chapter 1, we saw in verse number 3, where the Scripture says, "...to whom also He showed Himself after His passion, by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God." We saw the person of our passion is Jesus Christ. And the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, that is our passion. He is our passion. And in verse number 8, the Bible gives us the power of our passion by he says but we shall receive or but ye shall receive power after that the holy ghost is come upon you and that power that the holy ghost gives us to be able to speak of the things that Jesus has done in our lives and it's so overwhelming and even in that power that he has given to us through the holy spirit he's also given us a plan uh, for that passion that we shall be witnesses, uh, that we have a story to tell, that we have something to tell uh, in and through our lives to revive 
a passion within us. Now, I want to continue in Acts chapter 1 this morning in verse number 14, or verse number 15, rather, if you'll look at that with me. As the Scripture says, And in those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, The number of names together were about a hundred and twenty. Men and brethren, this Scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch as that field is called in their proper tongue, a simodala, that is to say, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein. His bishopric let another take. Wherefore, of these men which have companied with us, all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the same day that was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. And they appointed two, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias. He was numbered with the eleven. As we continue into chapter number 2, the Bible says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind that filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were, dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born? The Bible goes on to give us this description. And in verse number 14, the Bible says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judah, and all ye that dwell in at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken unto my words. 
For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And we'll see Peter here in just a moment preach a message that's going to change lives. It's going to change lives, that of those that hear. I want you to drop down to verse number 37. We'll see the results of this message here real quickly. As it says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. With many other words he did testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about three thousand souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted to all men, even as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. This morning, as we continue this thought on revival, I want you to consider this thought of how God might revive our participation. What does God want from me? What is He reviving us to? Not necessarily what is He reviving us from, but what is He reviving us to? Where is He placing us? Where has He placed us within this local church and this local assembly of believers? You see, there is a purpose of revival, and it's not just for us to sit and watch. For God to give us life and a new call on life, there is a purpose. We want to consider this this morning as we seek for God to revive our participation. Let's pray this morning and we'll get started. Our Heavenly Father, I thank You again. God, You have done so much in our lives. Father, I pray this morning that as we Consider where you have placed us in the body of Christ. Within this congregation of fellow believers. God, is a revival is possible as we seek your face. We know that a revival is personal in our lives. We know that this personal revival is going to require our participation. 
And God, I pray this morning that you would help us to see what you would have each one of us to do. God, I pray that as we look at this scripture this morning, that you would again just revive our hearts. We sing this song often. Revive us again. Revive us again. God, may that be our prayer this day. But Father, we don't want it to simply be a prayer. We want it to be a reality in our lives. That you would revive us again. That you might use us to make an impact in our world. Make an impact in our community, in our families, among those that we live about. We might see you do great and mighty things in our midst. God, we beg of you today. Revive us once again. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. So in the beginning of Acts chapter 1, of course, we see the Lord Jesus Christ speaking with His disciples, and He is getting ready to ascend. And as He's doing this, we see that the church has their confirmed commission, or the commission confirmed, we could say it that way. As Jesus Christ gives to them in verse number 8, as we uh, highlighted primarily last week the plan of this passion, but I want to highlight it once again just to remind you that uh, He commissioned us with this same purpose, with this same message, with this same idea that we shall be witnesses. If Jesus Christ has done something in your life, you have a story to tell. And He has commissioned you with this. He has told you that ye shall be witnesses unto Him or for Him, if you will, in Jerusalem, in Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now you may be sitting here this morning and you say, well, I don't live in Jerusalem, and I don't live in Judea, and I don't live in Samaria. Well, it's probably a pretty good thing that Jesus included the uttermost part of the earth then, isn't it? Amen. Uh, he didn't leave any part. In case anyone might be confused, he came in and he said, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. That includes where you are. That includes where I am. And he has commissioned us with this. Now, within this revival of a participation, we, I want you to see that in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, we are seeing a revival take place. You see, in this revival that is taking place, Jesus has shown himself to his apostles for nearly 40 days. He showed himself in his resurrected form. And in that, I want to remind you that for three days... And three nights, the disciples and the apostles of Jesus Christ were without Christ. Upon his death, upon the cross of Calvary, they had no idea what to do, did they? 
It was during the time of his crucifixion that just hours before that his disciples said, we'll go to death for you. We'll go to death for you. We'll never leave you. We'll never forsake you. And in that, just a few hours after, we find the most outspoken of the apostles, Peter, standing and warming himself by the fire, denying that he ever knew the Lord Jesus Christ. How does one do that? Even after Jesus told him he would do that, he still said, no, Lord, not me. Jesus said, well, you're going to do it three times. Peter did it once. Didn't think a thing of it. Somebody else said something to him, and he did it a second time. Peter didn't think a thing. Till the third time. And he heard the rooster crow. And he was reminded of what Jesus said. By the time you hear that, you'll deny me three times. Peter was broken. So much so, that as Jesus was crucified, and placed in that tomb, for three days, three nights, the disciples had no idea what they were going to do with the rest of their lives. You see, they had hopes, they had dreams, they had all of these things. They were done. Because they thought Jesus was done. Even after His resurrection, that He told them was going to happen. When Mary and the women came and told Him, He's not there. The angels told us that He's risen. They ran to the tomb. They saw it empty. And they didn't believe. The disciples. The disciples. The ones that saw the miracles. Peter. The apostle Peter. Who stood on the mount. And saw Jesus in his glorified body, speaking with Moses and Elijah, that same Peter did not believe. Rather than greatly anticipating the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Peter got a boat and went back to work. He went fishing. You see, that's what he did before Jesus came by. Now that Jesus was dead, and in Peter's mind and in the disciples' mind, gone. Peter said, I'll just go back and do what I've always done. Until Jesus came by again. Do you hear me? 
until Jesus came by again. Aren't you grateful Jesus doesn't stop coming by? Even when we walk away, even when we say, I'm done, even when we say there's no hope, Jesus still comes by another time. He came by for Peter. And he's just standing by the shore. Simple question he asked. Catch anything? Have anything to eat? Somebody said, hey, it's the Lord. Peter said, it's who? He jumped in the lake. He said, he can't see me like this. As they all came to shore, Jesus had fish cooking. Disciples began to gather around. Jesus asked a question to Peter. Peter, lovest thou me more than these? Yes, Lord, I love you. He said, feed my, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. A little while later, Peter, you love me? Yea, Lord. No, I love you. He says again, feed my sheep. Ask him a third time. Do you love me? By this time, Peter's grieved. Why does he keep asking me this? Why? Why, Lord? You know I love you. Just feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. But Peter, being Peter, he wants to know What's going to happen to this disciple and this disciple? Jesus simply says, what is it to thee? What does it matter what's going to happen to him? What you need to do is simply follow me. And in that 40 days, there's a revival that takes place in the life of the disciples. They began to gain a common bond. As we see that confirmed commission. Jesus gets them to the place. Now you have something to do. You're going to go tell people. You're going to go tell people. They're like, okay. And then they see Jesus in His glorification ascend into heaven. And they're just standing there and they're watching. There He goes. Can you imagine? Just watching. An angel came and said, What are you doing? Why are you standing there gazing up into heaven? He's given you something to do. And the second thing I want you to see this morning, while the church had a confirmed commission, I want you to see, secondly, that they had a common bond. 
They had something that gathered them together. And Peter, again, that mouthpiece, he stands up in verse number 15, and he starts a count. He numbers them. Gets the names together. About 120, the Bible says. And he begins to talk about how Judas betrayed. He says, but we have a job to do. We're going to have to replace them. So they call two men, Barsabbas, Matthias. They say, well, all right, we're going to choose one of you. But we're not going to choose, we're going to let God choose. We're going to draw lots and we're going to do this. But they had a common bond. They had a goal in mind. The common bond was established from that confirmed commission. They didn't know necessarily how it was going to work. They didn't know necessarily when it was going to happen. But they had a common bond. You know, we ought to have a common bond today. Where do we get that from? We get it from the Word of God, the same place they got it from. They gave forth their lots in verse number 26, and it fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven. Then as we come to chapter 2, I want you to see that within this common bond, they had a confused gathering. Pentecost. It's there. Jews from all over the world are coming together. Meeting at Jerusalem. And the Bible says in verse number 2, gives us a wonderful picture, that a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind filled the house where they were sitting. Appeared unto them cloven tongues like as fire, and sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We read this, and I want you to see that as they began to speak, they, they, they began to speak in, in their language, but as they were speaking to others, other people that spoke a different language were hearing as if they were speaking in their own language. It was a miracle. It was amazing what was taking place. It was confusing. It was confusing to those who were hearing Except at the same time, it was clear as could be. You ever, had, you, ever, you ever had such clarity that you were confused? You know what I mean? Where everything is just coming in and you understand that things that are happening that you shouldn't understand? Well, that's what was taking place here. All these people coming in, normally they wouldn't be able to communicate with one another. The disciples, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with what God has given to them, began to speak. And people are like, you understand that? Yeah, I, I get, I'm getting it, you get it? Yeah. 
And they, they have this confused gathering of people, and, and it comes through, I mean, everybody from all over. And verse number 12 says, And they were amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? But others were mocking, saying, These men are full of new wine. While some understood and at the same time didn't understand, there were some that they began to mock it as we do sometimes. Say, no, they're just drunk. Oh yeah, they've had a little too much. You know. Then I want you to notice in verse 14, not just this confused gathering. Within this, I want you to notice the concrete message. Because now Peter's going to stand up, and he's standing with the eleven. And he lifts up his voice, and he says, Ye men of Judea, and all that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as ye supposed, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which is spoken of by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and my hand on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my Spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, signs in earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, ye men of Israel, Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God, among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Stop there just for a moment. So Peter's standing up. And he says, in case you're confused, that's alright. You need to understand, this is of God. It's what God spoke of in the prophet, by the prophet Joel. He said, and in this, you need to know that Jesus of Nazareth was a man approved of God. But, there was a council that was determined. But he said it didn't catch God off guard. Note that, by the way. He said, as he was delivered by the determinate council and foreknowledge of God. Isn't it amazing how quickly Peter got it. He didn't know that 40 days ago. 
He wasn't sure about the foreknowledge of God 40 days ago, but he's got it now. He said it wasn't just the determinate counsel, it was also the foreknowledge of God. But ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. But verse 24, he says, whom God hath raised up. Having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. That's good stuff right there. He said, he said, yes, the determinate counsel has killed him, but death couldn't hold him. It wasn't powerful enough. He said in verse number 25, For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. You know what he said there? He said, by the way, he said, David wasn't speaking about himself. Amen. But David was speaking about his Lord. He said in verse number 30, Therefore, being a prophet, knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He seen this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus, can I say that again? This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Hallelujah. Peter said what David prophesied years ago, we see in this day. And he said, we are his witnesses. Remember, Jesus said, ye shall be witnesses. Witnesses of what? Jesus said, or Peter said in verse 32, this Jesus hath God raised up, wherefore, or whereof, we are all witnesses. What confounded them in verse number 6, it's becoming clear now. In verse 33, the Bible says, therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, He hath shed forth this, which now, or which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. And they said unto Peter and the rest of the, uh, the, rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do? And I tell you, from this day, in Acts chapter number 2, the message of the church has not changed. The message of the church remains the same. 
This same Jesus that was crucified 2,000 years ago has the power to save today. The same Jesus that was crucified on a cross of Calvary, that was buried and risen again, has the power to save today, just as He did in Acts chapter 2. And it's a concrete message. It's a message that doesn't change. It's the message that we are witnesses to. You see, if Jesus has done something in your life, if He's changed you, you're a witness to it. You're a witness to it. The message that Peter gave as he stood up and he said, listen, Joel told us a long time ago, we'd have this, it's here. As he stood up and said, David told us a long time ago and prophesied of Jesus Christ would sit on His throne It's here. The message remains the same to this day. It hasn't changed. What revived the apostles in that of the Holy Spirit, in that of learning of the Lord Jesus Christ, in that of the message of the church, and what what had a common bond in that confirmed commission of their participation is the same thing that we have today. It's the same thing that we hold to today in the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But who have we told? Who have we told? As Peter stood, he stood with the eleven. He preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. When the Bible says when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. They wanted to know, what shall we do? What are we going to do? Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. For the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. This is the promise unto you, to your children, to all that are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. Verse 40, with many other words, did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received His word were baptized. And the same day, not a week, not a month, not a year, but the same day, were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Folks, I understand Peter was the mouthpiece here. He's the one speaking. He's the one giving this primary message of hope of the gospel. But can I just remind you that Peter didn't do all this on his own. 
3,000 people were baptized in one day. 3,000. Now, I don't know how, how or what that looked like. I, I don't. But that had to take a while. There were 3,000. And again, I'm, I'm sure it was a little bit more than just, you know, next, next. If one person had to do that, you get what I'm getting at? Are you picking up what I'm laying down? It's more than one person. The, the pastor of the church was not given the commission of giving the gospel. The church was. You bear as much responsibility of giving the gospel as I do. Amen. So I disagree with that. I don't care. You can disagree with it if you want to. I shirk responsibility sometimes too. But this isn't one that we should shirk. Amen. Amen. You know, from time to time, my wife has to tell me, you're able to do that. I asked her to make a sandwich the other day, and she said, you know how. <laughs> then I said, woman. I did say that, and I said, but would you please? <laughs> and after a discussion, she, she made me a sandwich. Wasn't that nice of her? But I had to whine a lot, Marty, I tell you. <laughs> I had to whine a lot. But there are times when she has to tell me, you're able to make a sandwich. And there are times when the pastor has to say, you're able to share the gospel. Amen. You're able to share the gospel. You say, well, I don't know how. I'll teach you. You realize something? I don't know who you know. You don't know who I know. But we all have a responsibility with the gospel. It's a concrete message. The message hasn't changed in 2,000 years. The message is the same. The commission is the same. It's still there. And so we must give it. And I'll tell you something. When we have that revived spirit in our life, we won't have a problem sharing that gospel. You see, there's a hindrance 
the revival often. And it's me. I hinder it. My own pride stands in the way. We have to understand something. When my pride stands in the way of God stirring and moving and reviving my life, things like giving the gospel don't happen. Uh oh. You see why revival is so important? Wait a second. Wait a second. We, we, as Christians, we, wait, wait. Let's take some personal responsibility here. You see what happened in our society? Again, we look and we say, oh, what's happened? Our society is in a mess. Our society is awful. Our society needs to, needs to get saved. Our society needs to call upon God. Our society needs to do this. Our society needs to do that. Wait a second. Wait a second. When did we tell our society? Somewhere along the line, we started to notice that not only does our society need something, but so does the church. And, you know, we, we typically like to say, as the world goes, so goes the church. But as the church goes, so goes the world even further. Because we've stopped giving the message. You see, we have to take some of the responsibility. Because listen, the world is going to do what the world has always done. Be the world. That shouldn't shock us. That shouldn't surprise us. But if we're over here and we're just doing our thing, for far too long, I'm going to say it just because I'm in that mood today. You know what we've done as, as churches? We've changed it. It's a problem, by the way. It's a big problem. We have said the world needs to come to us. The world needs to want what we have. And they just need to come to us. No. 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 Ye shall be witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. He didn't say, ye shall be witnesses in church. I know I'm meddling. But if we're going to get serious about revival, 
We're going to have to get serious about what the problem is, right? We've just said, no, the world needs to come to us. We've changed the plan. Or we've tried to. And in the changing of the plan, we've gotten worse as a society. We haven't gotten better. How is it? How is it that we can go all over America? All over America. And find church after 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 church. All over America. We do not lack for churches. I didn't look this up. I probably should have looked this up. Maybe somebody knows. Do you know how many churches are in Trumbull County? We need to look that up. But in most areas, it's not this way everywhere, but there's usually at least one church for every 500 to 1,000 people. Now, there are some places in America where it's more than that. But listen, the problem is not we have a lack of churches. The problem is we have a lack of the gospel. We have a lack of that concrete message going outside of the church. It, for some reason, it remains inside. As if we have some secret club. The gospel should not be a secret, folks. But yet we keep it a secret. Come here if you want to hear. No. We need to go there. We need to go there. That's why one person can't do it. It needs everyone involved in this. To revive the person and to revive ourselves is to revive our participation in giving of the gospel. Then... Then you'll see, the last point here, and I'm done. Then we'll see the congregation gathered. As those that were gladly received His word, they were baptized the same day, added about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and the breaking of bread and prayers. Fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together. And all things common. Sold their possessions and goods, parted all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily, with one accord, and in the temple, breaking of bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. You see, that message continued. And as the message continued, the Lord added. You see, it's not about, it's not about us adding. 
We've got to get rid of the, the corporate business mindset within the church. And we have to build this thing. Jesus said he'd build the church. Amen. God added to the church. The apostles didn't. Peter didn't add here. God did. God just used the apostles to give the gospel. As they praised God and had favor with all the people. Can I just remind you, just, and I, I hate to be doom and gloom, but can I just remind you that in this day and age, Christians don't have the best testimonies all the time, do we? Among the world, do we have favor? As a general rule, I don't see much favor in our culture. Maybe it's because we spend more time complaining than we do praising. See, this is why we need God to revive something. need God to revive something. We have to ask ourselves, am I hindering? Am I hindering God doing something? The only hope I have is for Him to do it. I must humble myself. Say, God, you must. Because I understand there's a purpose. Understand, there's a passion. There's a participation that is required of me that comes in the form of a concrete message in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that is the only hope for a lost world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, you may be here today and you say, I've never trusted Jesus as my Savior. It's the only hope you have, friend. It's the only hope you have for an eternity in heaven is to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've been commissioned. You have been called. Be a witness of what He has done in your life. You've been given a message to give to others. That message is not just come here. The gathering comes after. We must go. into Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and under the uttermost part of the earth. 
That's our field. That's where we go. We must go. Not sit. Go. May God revive us. May God revive me. May God revive me. That's my prayer. That God would revive me. Your prayer ought to be that God would revive you in these matters. And as He does, oh, may we praise Him as He adds however He sees fit. Every head bowed, every eye closed.